Welcome everyone to the Reflection Artist Live podcast hosted by myself, Justin Lobato. Set your calendars to tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time where I will be bringing you industry spotlight interviews live from my active detail shop or an industry event. So if you're curious about who is who and what is what in the detail industry, don't forget to subscribe and tune in every Wednesday for some of the most exclusive interviews. Well, we are now live on Facebook. It is Wednesday, January 6th. Happy New Year to all that have started watching from our last episode. We have our special guest on today, Brian Walruth. And I said that correct, right? Yep. Okay, perfect. Yeah, you Um, got it. uh, And uh, he is uh, out of Canada, uh, and he represents multiple brands, uh, mainly 3D of Canada, but he also Fine Lab, uh, what is it, the Fine Lab, Big Boy Blowers, and uh, Speedo Coat. And so he has quite a few different brands under his belt that he uh, represents and handles for the entirety of Canada. He has a few storefronts and a few box trucks on the road as well, uh, distributing those supplies. And um, he's been in the business, gosh, uh, over what now, 23 years. And uh, he's, you know, been in, in his own detailing business for about eight years on top of you know, 10 years of, of managing, um, what was it, uh, production supervisor and, and handling luxury cars. I mean, he has a whole wealth of knowledge of where he's been and what he's done on his resume. Um, so Brian, uh, thank you for being on. Uh, we are episode number 11 for our podcast and we definitely appreciate your time taken out of the day to, to be on here. So if mm-hmm. you can tell us a little about your background and how you got started in, in the detail industry and, and from the, the early ages of what, 17, you said you got started yeah. in this? Yeah, yeah I kind was- of, I mean, for me, I kind of got started in, uh, you know, out of necessity sort of thing. I mean, um, you know, all started with my first car that I got and, uh, you know, I, but you know, was lucky enough to buy a brand new car. Uh, it was an old Zolero, uh, Oldsmobile, of course, is now long gone. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was working as a student uh, supervisor at General Motors and, uh, you know, was making decent money for, for the time and, uh, you know, went and picked up my first new car and uh, which was my first car ever. I hadn't had a car up until that point. And uh, so I was, I think I was 18 by the time I got my first actual car and uh you know i had uh, somebody had bumped into the back bumper about a year after i uh i had the car and and put a little sort of sort of scuff on the back bumper and you know i uh wanted to sort of see how much it would cost so i took it to a body shop and they quoted some astronomical amount of money to to do you know like basically a polish on it right and uh at the time i was going through college and uh one of the guys in my class his dad owned a body shop so i went there um and he took a look at it and he goes well you could do it yourself if you want i said well i've never done anything that like that before he goes well bring it in he goes come on a saturday and uh, he goes i'll show you how to fix it so that's kind of how you know the the polishing aspect started as far as you know the detailing and all the other aspects i mean um, you know, try to keep the car clean. And of course you, you know, at the time you don't know any better, you go to Canadian tire or whatever. Walmart wasn't even around back when I got my first, uh, my first car in Canada. So, you know, we have uh, Canadian tire, which is still around and, you know, bought products from there and, and tried to do, you know, do what you could, you got the turtle wax going and, you know, tried to keep it shiny and learn some, some buffing and just sort of continued on from there. And then, you know, 
uh, ended up at uh, another GM assembly plant and sort of got talking to a bunch of the guys that worked on the line and ended up doing a lot of uh, classic car restorations for years after that. So, you know, started getting into sanding paint and, you know, trying to expand on the, uh, the compounding and the polishing and, and stuff like that. And, so you know, you did a, in, in the field learning kind of things as you went. Yeah. So you just sort of go, you know, guys, you know, spread rumors about how well you can sort of do stuff when, you know, you really don't know what you're doing back then, or at least you think you, you know, you think you kind of know what you're doing. And then you look back and go, I didn't know anything when I was doing it, but um, you know, expand, expanding and, and learning as, as you went. And, you know, I probably did about, um, probably about 50 or 60 cars, uh, full wet sands and, and all that kind of stuff. When I worked at GM for, for a lot of the guys and, you know, these weren't, you know, most of them weren't professionally painted. These are all, you know, garage painted cars and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you put enough clear on there and hope for the best. And, you know, my job is to try and make it look better you know, and get all the junk out of the paint and, and everything else. And, you know, it just, you know, continue to expand from there. And then, you know, the interest, you know, you learn a little bit more, you get interested in other things. And of course, you know, uh, chemistry starts to change, the products start to change, the processes are changing. And, you know, it's forever, you know, especially in the last probably 10 years, it's been very rapid in, in you know, the change in the industry uh, in general. That it has. That it has. I mean, there's very limited options back when I started, you know, 23 years ago, you know, Meguiar's, 3M, Norton, you know, those are basically the things that you could, you know, find uh, even the body shops, there wasn't much very, you know, change or, um, you know, different products that you could kind of get your hands on. And so, you know, you kind of worked with what, what they had. So, you know, and I think, uh, I think even till today, uh, you know, with us as a detail industry, we've undergone and embraced a huge change in, in chemistry and, you know, evolution of chemistry. And, but I feel like the body shops, every time I go into a body shop, they're still using a lot of very traditional products like they haven't yet some yeah some that. are some are uh you know it, it depends if they get a little new lifeblood in there with some of the people that are doing the the grunt work as they call it you know the unpaid stuff uh you know the polishing and the stuff that actually makes the car look good um yeah. you know uh, if you got some young blood in there that have somewhat of an interest then they're gonna sort of venture out and, and see some of the new stuff but there's definitely some old dogs that, you know, they're still using the, you know, the paste compounds that come in a can, you know, that you slap on the pad and you have to spritz with water. And I mean, it's a, a, it, it's a very fun, messy business when you're using that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a lot of these, you know, no dust, low dust compounds and all that of, 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 you know, nowadays, uh, you know, it's, that works pretty easy, right? Back in the day when you're like literally spooning out compound onto the pad and spraying water, you know, I mean, it's everywhere. It's all over you. You're just covered in dust and you know, there's, there's, you know, marks everywhere. You got to wash it. It was necessary to wear a apron at that time. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. It's, it's in every crack and, and, you know, and uh, you know, it's almost like when you're metal polishing nowadays, you know, you kind of come out looking just horrible, right? and uh you know now you can go in and you know you, you you don't even you know if you do it right you don't even get a speck of anything on you right and you don't have to wash the car three or four times as you're going along you don't have to tape off you know all the stuff and you know you know if you happen to hit something rubber with that kind of stuff i mean you, you basically use some shoe polish if you can and and try and make it look good for the customer because that stuff was white forever so yeah yeah <clears throat> no for sure so now with with you learning as you go in in the field 
Um, I'm sure that helped you understand how to become and be probably a better supervisor because you have time in the field of doing these. Yeah, I learned I learned quite a bit, too, because I ended up spending some time in paint repair on the assembly line, too. <clears throat> and oh, wow. then I ended up a few years into it. I ended up actually in the paint shop uh, on overtime as a supervisor. Um, you know, when, uh, other people wouldn't fill the line for overtime and they had to run the shop out or something along those lines, you know, I was in the space suit, I was shooting door caps and under hoods and door jams and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, which, <clears throat> you know, you kind of get a, uh, a, a different understanding of, of the process of the car, uh, you know, working on the wet deck, doing the ceiling and all that kind of stuff. It's just a whole different, you know, things that you don't really think about. It's a whole different process. And then going from there to, you know, paint repair, heavy paint repair and all that kind of stuff where, you know, it's basically like a body shop, just, you know, you're fixing panels and all that kind of stuff, but the process ends up being basically the same. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you're not working out for the most part, you're not working out dents and, and damaged panels, the odd time you'd are, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, uh, <clears throat> runs and dirt nibs and all that kind of stuff that, you know, and you kind of get an understanding, which kind of flowed nicely into, you know, getting into the classic car restoration, because I mean, these guys are shooting in the garage machine and they're not pros, which no. means, I mean, there was like, you know, not, there was boulders in the paint, you know, when these guys Bugs, artifacts, yeah, you know, and then <laughs> there was, you know, there wasn't one run, it was just a whole run panel. Right. And, um, but the nice part is, you know, if you lay it on nice and thick, you can kind of make something out of it. And, uh, you know, with regular paints uh, on cars nowadays, there's nothing there to play with. So, you know, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot harder in some respects now, um, you know, versus uh, back in the day too, with, uh, you know, the processes and all that kind of stuff, because you really don't have, you know, much to play with. And there's not, there's not a lot of room for error, like back in the day, you know, you could, you, you know, you could go at something fairly aggressive and, and still have a lot of, you know, stuff to play with. And nowadays you really can't. No, so, no. <clears throat> So with, with that, I mean, in, in moving forward and overseeing all that, what led you into, you know, overseeing all these different brands? Well, I mean, I, I left GM when uh, the 2008 uh, crash happened um, and they were off in bio packages. And at that point in time, I kind of had my fill of the production life. And, um, you know, I didn't, didn't, didn't have the same zip I did when I started there. So I thought, you know what, I'm young. It's good enough. Uh, you know, I've had my I've had my day there. I'm going to move on to something different. So I ended up uh, leaving, took a buyout, uh, and ended up managing a company in Toronto uh, that did dealership detailing. They had, I think, we were up to five or six dealerships. We we're doing, you know, anywhere from a thousand cars to fifteen hundred cars a month, uh, as far as production detailing goes, and and managing wow. that kind of stuff. So that sort of brought me you know, a, way, a little more away from just the technical hands-on. I used to do the polishing and all that kind of stuff for that, uh, for that company when the, the time came. Uh, but it, you know, brought more into understanding how dealerships work and then managing flow, you know, and which is, it's, it's very similar to what I came out of with the assembly line. I mean, everything's got to move. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if the parts aren't moving and thing, you know, people aren't doing their jobs, then, you know, you're not making good cars and the line's not moving either. And you can, you know, that kind of carried over to essentially production detailing and, you know, producing and, and doing so many cars at, you know, it's, it was a high level of, of detailing, really. I mean, they, you know, we weren't polishing every car. We weren't, you know, sanding cars or anything like that, but, 
you know, the interiors had to be impeccable or else, you know, you were getting complaints from the dealerships. And these guys were, you know, as anal as the anal customers are. Yeah. So in order to get out that many cars and, and all that kind of stuff, I mean, we, we did a full overhaul, full overhaul, the processes, changed the shop layout around, um, you know, we went from being, you know, basically scrambling every day when I started there to being two to three days ahead on orders, you know, so that, uh, you know, if you happen to have something happen and you need to slide a car in, it's easy. Whereas before when you're just running, you know, car to car and everything else, and it's just a mess and you never really get ahead, you know, you don't really have that option of sort of getting that stuff through, uh, you know, in a timely manner. And it just compounds the issues that you've already got. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, it sort of, it sort of brought me into, uh, you know, a different aspect of detailing that a lot of find, you know, a lot of detailers kind of disregard as, uh, as detailing really. Um, and you know, it, if you do it right and you do enough of it and you kind of have your shop set up, I mean, there's real good money in production detailing. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, if you do it right you know, and, uh, and have the, the business acumen to set the, you know, your packages and set your processes up and all that kind of stuff as well. So now do you uh, think the production detailing, you know, this day and age with with so much information online and the way that YouTube and the internet makes detailing look now so premium and so (laughs) pure with having to remove every stain, every scratch kind of scenario. Yeah. Do you think a standalone shop would be a good candidate still for production detailing? It, it can. Uh, I mean, we had, we were sort of a, a, a different setup. So we had a standalone shop. Uh, we did tinting, we did clear bras, we did undercoating. <clears throat> um, we did the detailing as well there. Um, we had a, almost a full-time PDR guy uh, for doing wow. all the, the dents and everything else uh, in the doors and whatnot. Um, you know, my boss at the time, cause I was managing, I didn't own the business, but my boss at the time was a really smart business guy. Um, and, you know, we ended up, you know, having employees within the dealerships, which means, you know, the overhead and all that kind of stuff was kind of covered off by the dealership and worked out packages with them. So that essentially, you know, he wasn't really paying rent. He was <clears throat> in a, in a, you know, non sort of currency type way because he would give them a, a decent uh, rate on the uh, the detailing but you know he wasn't paying any rent you know or anything overhead like that in some of these detail uh, or the dealerships yeah uh, and that's where we really pumped volume out too is you know we went in from three to four to five to six to seven sometimes it was one guy sometimes it was two guys sometimes it was three guys that were in the dealership depending on the size of the dealership and then <clears throat> everything else kind of flowed into the central you know, central shop, which was, I mean, it wasn't a huge shop. We're probably six, 7,000 square feet. Um, but we, you know, we basically, it was an assembly line. Our, our full recons were down to, which is like, you know, your engine bay, full interior cleanup, wash on the outside, you know, and everything else. And of course, like I said, this was, you know, two and shampoo and like all the stains and everything else. So like the interior was the, the pickiest part of it. I think we were down to like 38 minutes per car. Wow. So, wow. you know, we spent, you know, we spent a good amount of money on equipment to make the process faster. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, rejake the shop and everything else. When I started there, there were about three and a half hours. Holy crap. So, yeah, they were, they were losing yeah. their butt. No, they were, yeah, and that was part of the problem, and that was one of the nice things about where I came from is I dealt with, uh, ele- um, 
ALBS is what they call it, it's assembly line uh, line balancing, which is you know taking essentially amount of the movements and and time into the person's job on an assembly line and, and managing you know that throughout the entire process of the car making. Well, kind of carry that over into you know when you're trying to figure out how to make things more efficient in detailing as well. You start to look at which processes you need to do, start to break them down, you know, and start to figure out how you can start you know cutting out all the uh, garbage and and wasted time and everything stuff, yeah, yeah all the unnecessary stuff and you know wasted time you know walking is you know was a big thing in uh in the assembly line was they didn't want people walking you know a half a step more than they had to uh because at that point you're not adding any value to the car in the assembly well, the same thing goes for detailing as well right if you spent you know, say a thousand steps walking a day, that's a thousand steps that if you set the shop up right, you know, you could bring that way down. That's a lot of extra, you know, that gives you extra cars, lots of extra cars in the year. So, you know, changing your processes and changing, uh, you know, the steps in which you do the processes and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately trying to get to the same result, you know, without cutting the corners, but just yeah. rejigging everything so that you can get there faster. Right. So I think a lot of people think, you know, the uh, assembly line detailers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, if you're doing it in a good capacity, you're not really cutting the corners. You're still ending up, you know, really close to the guys that are spending a lot of time doing the same amount of work. You're just doing it way more efficiently. Right. And so. Most customers don't even see the difference. The majority. Oh. No, and like I said, these guys, I mean, they're, they're as picky as, as the pickiest customers. So, you know, when the guys didn't do their job and didn't follow the processes, the car came back, you know, and you don't get paid to do that car twice. So, you know, we, you know, by the time I left there, I think, you know, on the year we were between four and six returns for the year. <clears throat> um, you know, we were getting four and six returns a day when I started there for, you know, touch up here and, you know, miss spots there and all that kind of stuff. And you kind of work on getting your quality processes down, your quality checks down, you know, some standardization and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, brings the quality up really quickly. Standardization, just like when you're building a car, I mean, um, it just be almost becomes muscle memory. Yeah. You don't really have to think about it anymore. And that's what brings your quality way up. When you standardize the processes to pretty much everything that they have to do, every tool that they have to use, uh, and making sure that they use that standardized process every time, your quality is going to go through the roof. Yeah, and that so, goes to <clears throat> your point, production detailing or premium higher-end detailing. That process, if you got that locked in, that's going to help you overall be more effective and more efficient. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I mean, there's a small variability, but ultimately a clean interior is a clean interior. You know, whether it took a guy uh, 38 minutes and he did it properly by shampooing the carpets with, you know, proper equipment and using the proper processes and materials and chemicals and everything else versus somebody else that takes two and a half hours. You know, if the end result ends up being a good, clean car, you know, where you're not, like I said, you're not cutting the corners, you're just doing things more efficiently. Um, then the difference between the two cars ends up being, you know, negligible. So, you know, and that's where, you know, some guys will, sometimes pride themselves on taking extra time uh and where you know the customer really doesn't pay for the extra time they just want no. the clean car yeah right yeah so i'd rather do you know 50 clean cars in a shorter time than five ones and spend you know copious amounts of time doing you know oddball things that you know the customer really doesn't find value in well those that take pride in that extra time is all fine and dandy but they're also taking pride in not getting paid 
And well, that's it, right? <laughs> so, you know, and and like I said, the, the more people you touch cars, and the and and then you know, the, of course, these are all happy customers too. In the end, then they end up telling more people. So, you know, if you're doing ten cars a week, but you could be doing say thirty cars a week, there's twenty people that aren't talking about your business, right? You know, and uh, like I said, if it, you know, ultimately the customer, if you have a satisfied customer you know, and you're doing the proper processes and doing what you're saying you're supposed to be doing, then that's really, that's it. I mean, that's, you get paid and, and, you know, the customer's happy and that's the end of the transaction, you know, and then they tell everybody else and you get more transactions and then you end up, you know, you end up making more money that way. Right. So, and then, you know, like yourself, you can expand your business, you can get a bigger shop, you know, you can make more money that way. And, you know, it's, it's good for, you know, the single, single detailing guys that are, are, you know, standalone operators, which, you know, myself included, I was for almost, you know, 10 years, eight years. Um, But you're never going to make the numbers that a shop can with six employees, you know, and you're never going to be able to fit all the other fun stuff in like the PPF and the tinting and the, you know, rust proofing and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's just, I mean, you're only one guy. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to max out. And it, there's nothing wrong with single operator guys that, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing and you're making a, a healthy living doing it and, and all that kind of stuff, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, um, no. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having six employees and, and making, you know, a hundred times the money either. So this is true. This is true. Now, production wise, you know, like I said about, you know, whether it being a fit for, you know, a, a standard, like even a standalone guy, I feel yep. that the production side of detailing is more of a successful setup at a dealership atmosphere yep. because not that the expectations aren't high, but I feel sometimes maybe the customer's expectations aren't as high as if they were to yeah. bring it to a standalone shop. Yeah. Usually ultimately what we experienced was it wasn't the customer's expectations we had to meet. It was the sales guy's expectations and they were anal, you know, most of those guys were anal. So if you could make it through the sales guys, then the customers never generally had a problem at all. Right. It was the, it was the sales guys and, and ladies that were, were the most anal part of the process. Yeah, so you put them uh, so the if you can make them happy, yeah. I mean, like I said, that's why we had very little returns because from ultimately the sales guy, I mean, these guys would literally spend 20 minutes to a half an hour going through these cars before they, they, you know, hit the customer's hands, you know, any bit of thing, any stain, any part you missed, any door cup you didn't do, you know, ashtray, whatever, you know, um, that you, you happen to miss. I mean, these guys found it. I mean, they made, they made it a game to find something. (laughs) And, you know, uh, you know, when you can return and these guys can't find something time and time again, it's, it's a good feeling for the guys, but it also leads to, like I said, you have zero complaints, you know, ultimately the only complaints and and stuff that we ever used to get back was stuff that wasn't included in the packages, you know, customer would complain that there were scratches or swirls on the car. Well, that wasn't part of what we do as the process. So, you know, they would bring it back. We, they would pay extra to have it polished. Um, but, you know, it really wasn't a, a traditional, you know, miss. It was just something that was outside the scope of, of what we were doing. So. Oh, that makes sense. That makes mm. sense. So, you know, once once you got all this under your belt, again, going back into where you landed with being able to represent, you know, all these brands and be head yep. of everything up in Canada, how did that come about? So I moved from there basically uh, and went back to school and ran my own business uh, at the same time for a bit. So uh, I went to I went to college when I was uh, you know 18, 19 at the time I went to, and took operations management because I 
took the job at GM and they said, okay, well, if you want the job, you got to do operations management. Originally I was going to take golf management. So I was going to become a golf pro, um, back in the day. And, uh, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I didn't kind of, uh, you know, go that route because, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, the golf courses started, uh, kind of folding up the dollar went, uh, above the American dollar at one point. So the American travelers weren't coming to Canada and uh, the golf courses started hurting, you know, they were cutting uh, people off and, and all that kind of stuff from, from positions and whatnot. Um, and so I ended up taking the job at GM uh, and, uh, you know, getting paid very well for a student at the time. I mean, I think, uh, you know, minimum wage was like six or seven bucks or something like that uh, an hour. And I think, you know, at GM, they, they started paying at 22. Oh, wow. So, <clears throat> It was, you know, looking at the wage going like, you know, even nowadays it was good money. Yeah. Um, but when you're a student, you know, and, and of course, you know, you got your mom's like, well, I think you really should take this job. And it's like, well, you know, I, I still want to be a golf pro and all this kind of stuff. And no, I'm, I think you're going to take the job. Right. <laughs> and then so then you, you know, you kind of slide into that. And that's, you know, that's ultimately where I ended up for for many, many years. And uh um, you know, and then I went back to college again, and, you know, after I left the other place and, and ran my own business for a number of years as well and took accounting and, um, you know, just to learn some, you know, new skills, had an interest in some accounting stuff. I was always good at it before. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to school, ran my own business full time as well. So, you know, now, went you to school, went, yeah, went that to time to do the accounting helped out quite a bit. It does. I mean, it gives you a different sense of, uh, uh, you know, everything's a good learning experience as far as I'm concerned. Right. And so, um, but it gives you a good sense of, of the nuts and bolts of the business and, and looking at, uh, you know, ultimately the numbers and, yep. uh, and cash and everything else and where, where it goes in the business and, and, um, you know, deep, a bit diver, you know, deep dive into, you know, where the money goes, how it travels through the business and, uh, ultimately, you know, things to look for that make businesses successful uh, versus those that aren't successful, you know, and, uh, you know, learning how to manage cash flow and a cash flow, you know, account and all that kind of stuff and, and your statement of cash flows and your income statements and your balance sheets and all that kind of stuff, you know, the basics like that and kind of understanding how stuff sort of flows through is kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting um, and it definitely helps for sure. And, uh, you know, I graduated, uh, you know, accounting honors and all that kind of stuff as well and, and was working full time and worked full time up until I started here. So I worked for myself. And like I said, I was doing both, which is, you know, you're running a full time business going to school. So I go to school and then immediately. <laughs> immediately after school, I would go and, and detail, you know, sometimes uh, I'd be out, you know, six o'clock in the morning working on a car until school started at noon, you know, go to school. Uh, you know, until five and then leave school and, and work on another car as well. And I had, at the time I had a, a family too. So I had a wife and, and uh, a son who was young at the time and, you know, trying to fit in some family time too, which made it, you know, it made it an interesting, an interesting time, but uh, it definitely was, uh, was well worth it in the end. Yeah. So there's some sacrifices that, you know, in the yeah, process of and, life that you have to make. Yeah. So I, you know, ultimately I, I graduated, uh, I w went into university, was going to take accounting in a university, got two and a half years through, and then I had the job opportunity for, for 3d come my way. Um, and, uh, ended up taking that. So I never finished university with the accounting, but, uh, you know, I took the full full-time opportunity here and I've been here ever since. So it was six, six years ago now it flies pretty quick. Oh, wow. Wow. 
So how did they find you? I mean, were you somebody that- they uh, It's funny with? because I, I, I used to, I did some product testing for Tunch at 3D. Like I couldn't even tell you, it was a long time ago. Well, that was back when Dave Bynan uh, ran autopia.org, you know, before 3D bought it. When 3D bought it and they started advertising, I kind of uh, approached Tunch at the time and, and did some product testing for their uh, 3D HD line when it was launched with seven products. And to be honest, they didn't like, six of the seven products uh, and sent them the feedback and all that kind of stuff. And didn't know that, you know, at the time that he also had 3d, I didn't associate the HD with the 3d. I thought literally that was all he did was seven products. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> so, you know, lo and behold, years go down the road and um, you know, I, I start independently distributing the 3d stuff uh, for a year uh, did quite well in that regard. And then the opportunity came uh, as far as, you know, becoming a manager for 3d uh, with my background. And I decided to, like I said, took the leap, went out of university, took the full-time position here. And, uh, and that's sort of how it started. And, you know, I'm basically back, you know, kind of with 3d in a roundabout way from, you know, years ago uh, of, you know, using some of the stuff and testing some of the stuff and talking to Tunch directly and uh, not really knowing anything about 3D or the business or what they did at all. Like I said, and, you know, originally for years, I thought they made seven products. You know, I had no idea 3D was, uh, you know, bench chemical company and, you know, they're a you know, fairly large company out of California at the time. And, you know, didn't know, you know, that Tunch, you know, had owned a chemical company before 3D for years and was successful at that. And, you know, all this stuff, you know, you just, you know, back then too, you know, Google and stuff like that really wasn't as prevalent. You kind of didn't yeah. do as much research as you do nowadays. And uh, so, yeah, and ended up sort of falling back into it again. And, and you know, I'm, you know, talking to Tunch again years later and, uh, you know, finding out that it's a whole, whole different ballgame I didn't even know about. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Now, when you got started, I mean, what, where you're at now, you said you have two stores and a couple of trucks on the road. Yeah. Where were you at when you got started? It's, uh, when we, you know, when I, when I started, we had one sales guy and a Savannah man on the, on the road. Um, so uh, that was it. And then um, I started in a capacity that wasn't there. Um, they never had a manager before. Um, and the line was, uh, they're looking for line growth and, you know, some management, managing support. I also ran a territory for uh, a period of time as well to obviously help pay the bills um, because managing managing something that wasn't very big at the time, you know, wasn't going to pay the bills as far as my salary goes. So, you know, I ran a territory for a while and uh, and did some some of the managerial stuff, and then we hired a, another sales guy to take over my territory full-time and then uh you know i did more full-time managing we you know created the training facility uh as well so I, I got more into doing the training i'd been training for years anyways so i started it's funny because i started looking back at when i started doing some detailing training i think it was around like 2002 uh is when i started doing some detailing training uh and it was all charity at the time so i would do uh these little detailing, uh, training days, uh, back in the day. And, you know, I would raise money for charity and all that kind of stuff. And guys would pay 30 bucks or whatever for the day. And, um, you know, I did probably five or six of those back long, long time ago. Nice. And then, uh, you know, stepped away from training and, and, uh, you know, in a different capacity and all that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, and then step back into it again. So we created a training facility, uh, you know, in, we're here about four years ago now, three and a half, four years ago, we built it uh, here. 
so we have our, our second store and a training full full-time training facility as well and uh, so I focus on the training I do the 3d training I do the fine lab training um, and I also do the IDA training as well so I'm a recognized trainer for the IDA uh, as well so you know myself and Yvonne are the the two guys in Canada right now that do the IDA uh, certifications too so you know started getting more involved in the IDA as well as far as the training goes just to expand on you know different parts of, of training that I think were of value to not only our company but also to the detailers as well um, you know, and firmly believe that, you know, setting standards and proper standards in the industry are, are going to definitely help everybody in the industry. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially <clears throat> when you have someone like yourself who has all the background and experience from so many different positions, you know, that's not just about having your hands on a polisher. Yeah. And that's, that's where a lot of these guys. No. Do. And like, even when we do our 3d training, you know, we, I spend, you know, about four to five hours in business training to start. Nice. Um, and, you know, I think that's, you know, so I think people get too involved in technical training and all that. And ultimately, I mean, you could be the best detailer and run an unsuccessful business multiple times. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to make you the best business guy in the world, but at least give you a good background on the, you know, some of the nuts and bolts that make successful businesses. Yeah. Do's and don'ts. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we do, you know, for fine lab, we do uh, what we call it. It's called a heal me, but uh, something that uh, I developed, which is a workshop for our installers. And we have a maximum of 14 installers at the time. Of course, this was pre COVID and uh, you know, we have a workshop, but focuses heavily on uh, the business aspect as well as uh, you know, some of, some of the technical stuff, but a lot, a lot of the business aspect and getting our guys together, working together, um, you know, going through the, the highs and lows and of, of the business, what works, what doesn't work and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, some guys, you know, work on different aspects of the business together. We've had great partnerships, you know, over the years as well, where, you know, in an industry where everybody doesn't, you know, kind of like everybody else, as far as the coding industry goes, all of our guys end up forming, almost forming alliances and working together so that ultimately, you know, our coding brand and everything else, you know, will survive, you know, and then they're not going to go to a competitor. Right. So, yeah, you know, we, we, we pick our guys, we're stringent and we pick the best that we, you know, that we can find as, uh, as far as the coding people go. And, uh, you know, all of our guys tend to end up working together, which works out for the benefit of everybody. Right. Oh so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It might not be you doing the coding job, but at least, you know, that, you know, when you give it off to one of the other guys, the quality is there as well but the customer is not looking at other alternatives, right? Which is our big thing to the guys. It's like, you know, yeah, you might not be able to do it yourself, but you know, somebody else may have the capacity to do it. And then at least the customer doesn't go to a competing product. Right. So they're going to get, they're going to be satisfied based on, you know, the good feedback that they've had, which is the reason why they, you know, nine times out of 10, they approached your company in the first place. So, you know, and that's <clears> such a, you know, fine lab, coatings and products are such a well-respected brand in the industry amongst others yeah. but yeah they definitely have a good following a good track record and you know everything about the product just screams premium which is yeah. very neat you know yeah so we were i think we were the third uh third distributor worldwide to come on the program for them oh, so wow. Uh, we were really, really, really early on. Um, you know, the, I'm, I'm excluding the USA because they're they're based out of the US, but um, the UAE and 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 Europe, I think, were just before us, uh, and then we were we're right after them. And uh, you know, we've uh, you know developed a good program here. 
we do things a little differently um, in Canada than the States does. And there's some certain things that have worked really well for us that they're, you know, probably going to be amalgamating worldwide as to how we run our business over here. Cause we've been very successful. So um, I think we're the number one distributor in the world outside of the U S we're not a big country. We're not a big country. So there's a lot of other country countries on the program that are a lot bigger than we are. Um, but, you know, having been in the industry for so long and, and knowing, you know, what I didn't like in the industry and what I enjoyed in the industry, you know, I could really take the good points and just make sure that they're all there in, in our, our program and, uh, you know, not make some of the same mistakes that some of the people, uh, you know, some of the companies in the past have made as well. And just, you know, just avoiding, you know, some of those things altogether. So now do you have any, um, conflict in regards to not necessarily with in-house but like from cons consumers or detailers about you know both fine lab and i know 3d has a coating as well correct yeah we don't we don't sell it's weird because we don't sell the 3d coating uh here uh because of our agreement with fine lab fine lab was first um <clears throat> and we've been uh, very happy with the uh, you know the ceramic light from fine lab is you know as far as i'm concerned it's the best product on the market for the price um, you know, and as far as the attributes go and how well it holds up to everything and, and, and everything else uh, versus how much it actually costs to the, the, the installer or the consumer and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, we don't really have too much conflict because of the way that we've separated uh, a lot of the product line for pro use only and for consumers so the consumers have a good smattering of products for the thing but we have certain things that are only available to our pro side and we keep it very black and white when it comes to that so there's no real overlap in uh in you know having some prosumer stuff that kind of geeks too much into the the pro level lines yeah. and all that kind of yep. stuff we you know not that any of the consumer products are you know a bad product um but our offerings are exclusively to our pro or yeah. pro installers okay you got to separate it and then that's the other thing too is the installers have to have some kind of you know grounds of knowing that they have some kind of special approach versus just like everybody else you know, yeah like and there's certain products. things like i said we do things differently in canada so like there's certain products that were available to consumers elsewhere in the world we won't make them available to consumers in canada it's just another differentiating factor um you know for our guys um, and it gives them another selling point too you know if certain products like topper products and all that kind of stuff you know we literally just keep them for our our, our pro guys and that gives them an edge over you know, not being a, a certified installer as well. So it's just one more thing that helps. And and Fine Lab in, in itself has done a good job in, uh, you know, creating a great line, but also making sure that there's good differentiation between the products so that, you know, the pro, pro level products are pro level products and the consumer products are consumer products, <clears throat> you know, and there's great value in the pro level products um over the regular consumer grade products and all that kind of stuff as well yeah no that makes sense and that's definitely what would make a mm -hmm. difference so for a consumer whether they're getting something <clears throat> that is a consumer level versus a pro level there's such a big difference that they know the yeah. difference so when they pay to have it professionally done they yeah. feel better about it <laughs> they have a peace yeah. of mind absolutely and you know i mean warranties you know claims aside i mean you've had almost zero uh in the four years now we've been on the program so you know something like that over over that span of time you know if you're not supporting a good product you're gonna you're gonna definitely see some issues 
Um, and, uh, you know, they've been really, really good in that regard too, with a, with a good solid product to back, uh, to back the lineup and, you know, uh, you know, failure rates, you know, they're part of the industry, but if you can keep it to an absolute, absolute minimum, I mean, you've got uh, something good on your hands and all that kind of stuff. And we, you know, we really value the partnership that we have with them. And I said, we were early adopters and they've been very good. Uh, with us, uh, you know, uh, as a distributor and all that kind of stuff and, and making sure that we can kind of, you know, we have the right tools, we have the right products to, to really support our business. So, you know, ultimately it supports a bunch of other businesses as well. So this is true. You know, we have, a, <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of guys that, uh, you know, that started on the program that were not coded. They'd never done a coding in their life. And, you know, two years down the road, their main business is coatings, you know, and it's, it's, you know, we've had guys that tell us it puts food on the table, pays their mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And they're making more money than they ever have. And, you know, ultimately they, you know, their customers are even happier than they were before. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah, no, that, the, the coatings have definitely made a world of a difference. Now, as far as this last year, <laughs> 2020, with, yeah. with your business and everything with the storefronts, did you see yeah. a, a big difference? Did you have quite a few shutdowns during the period of the we, year? We had, yeah, we had, uh, we had a, a massive shutdown, but because we do sanitation as well, mm -hmm. sanitation products and disinfectants and whatnot, we were open. We had curbside pickup for a good chunk of time in the spring, um, but our sales are actually up. <clears throat> so oh, very nice. Uh, they're up quite a, they're, stuff. Everything's up. Yep. It's, it's kind of weird because even our accounts, you know, I've got a one sales guy who, uh, you know, his his main accounts are like kind of small used car dealerships that he supplies. I mean, all of them were closed in the spring at one point for about six or eight weeks. But his numbers actually went up for the month, like in comparative to the year before, oh, wow. which I don't know how he pulled it off. But I mean, that's good having good sales guys. Yeah. But, you know, you know, we kind of uh, found other avenues to go and, and uh, you know, ended up, uh, you know, working different uh parts of the business to kind of make up for, you know, certain areas that, I mean, they were just literally shut down. So uh, online took off. I mean, we've been grooming the online for about, well, for me, I've been really focusing on trying to groom for about three years. It's been online for longer than that, but, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we hire the right people to do the SEO and, and doing a proper job on that. It definitely paid off now because our online went way up. I don't even, we're, in the hundreds of percentile up over the year, year before. Wow. So, you know, and that's it, you know, that's just because, you know, two things, we did a good job in the back end, um, you know, and, and setting ourselves up and people just having copious amounts of time, you know, to spend online and you're like, you know, and copious amounts of time to just, you know, I don't know what to do with my time. So I'm going to polish <laughs> my car. So, you know, they look for, you know, stuff to buy, right. Stuff to do. And like most guys, you know, would come in and they say, you know, I normally don't have time to do it myself, but he's like, you know, I'm not going to work. So I got all <laughs> kinds of time now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so yeah, we had a lot of, we had a lot of people, you know, come for that as well. You know, a lot of uh, new people that to the detailing industry, especially in like polishing, like oh, yeah. we sold an absolute ton of polishers uh, and polishing products in the springtime because we had so many new people buying polishers and polishing their own cars. Um, and at least nowadays, you know, like when I started polishing a car, I don't think YouTube was out. 
You know, nowadays you could buy a polisher and you can watch, you know, 30 hours of how to polish a car on YouTube and at least have some sense of, you know, what you're doing back in the day. Yeah. I mean, there, there was nothing. I mean, you could go to the library <laughs> if you're lucky and get a VHS tape of how to detail your car, <laughs> but uh, you know, YouTube, YouTube wasn't around. So, no. you know, and, and I think that helps too, is, is there's a lot more information out there. So people are more apt to give it a try because now you're not going blind. Now you've spent some time, you know, because of course you got nothing else to do, spend some time on YouTube and researched, you know, for hours of, you know, what you want to buy and how it's going to work and all this kind of stuff and coming in somewhat educated, you yeah. know, in, 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 uh, into the process and what you're looking for. Right. So well, that in, in, entail helped us really. I mean, everybody's YouTube videos and, and all that kind of stuff is, you know, as much as their, you know, competitors products and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't really matter. No. The knowledge, the knowledge is what matters. And that knowledge helps us, right? Somebody else put it out there and they're using different products. It doesn't really matter, but you know, they're showing the process, you know, and ultimately they're going to go with who they respect or who they find online or, or who has the best reviews to buy their stuff. Yeah. But all of that information is good information. So, yeah, and, you know, there's very little, them. You know, there's very little bad information on the internet. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there are some, you know, oddball ones, but for the most part, people are are trying to do the right thing, and they're, you know, providing pretty decent information. And you know, people are going to figure it out anyways. They're gonna, they're gonna figure out what's the good and the bad because they're gonna see seven videos of people doing it very similar and one guy doing it completely different. Yeah. You know, and they're gonna go. You know, it doesn't kind of look right. Like all these other guys do it this way, and this guy's doing it this way. And they're, you know, they're gonna disregard, you know, those videos anyways. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, all that, like I said, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the education aspects and everything else that are available nowadays is just phenomenal for for the industry. And you know, it definitely, uh, you know, we're on a different end. You know, we're we're not competing with the detailers like I used to back when I ran my business. Um, which is good for us because all these educational things just create more detailers for us as customers. Are they all going to be successful? No. I mean, like I said, you could be the best detailer, but unless you got a good business acumen, you're not going to run a successful business. Um, but, you know, for us, it means more sales. Yeah. So even in the short term, we like long term, you know, we, we, we want to see everybody that comes into our store be a successful business person, if that's what they plan on being. Um, but, uh, you know, in the short term, it's, it's sales long-term, you know, obviously the long-term goal is to have long-term customers because they create more value for your company. Yep. Right. And they're a lot cheaper to maintain long-term customers than they are getting new customers all the time. So this is true. This is true. Well, that's good though, that, that last year you had, you know, an understanding of what was going on and, and even with COVID there was still some success in regards to the bottom line of things. And. You know, yeah, I mean, the only thing that really affected us a little bit this year is the fact that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't teach and train, which, you know, yeah. which is, uh, it's a good revenue strain, uh, stream that, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, what you make as far as the, the actual, you know, teaching goes, but that's ultimately not the goal. I mean, you know, ultimately, we don't charge an arm and a leg for the training, uh, you know, ultimately, we just want to get people on the program and doing things right so that they can create a successful business and happy customers. And then the money will flow in, you know, in the future for, for longer terms. Right. So, you know, <clears throat> and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that people are following the safe pro practices and doing stuff properly and everything else. So, you know, so that they can be successful ultimately. Right. So, yeah. you know, like I said, that's why we focus a lot more on, uh, you know, the business aspect to start with, with our, our 
our students in the 3D program than maybe others do is because, you know, ultimately, you know, a guy that runs a successful business is going to be a customer of yours for a lot longer than a guy that doesn't run a successful business. So, so how does with, with everything, you know, now and looking forward, what do you got going on coming into the new year for 2021? Anything special? Well, 2021, I mean, my big focus now, hopefully with vaccines and everything else coming in, things hopefully opening up. I mean, uh, we want to get more involved with the IDA training again. I got a backlog of, of IDA training stuff that's, you know, been piling up all year and we, you know, we haven't, you know, we haven't been able to really schedule anything because we just don't know. For a long time, you just don't know if you're going on lockdown, they're going to shut things yeah. down the way that they have their restrictions and everything else. Um, but ultimately, I think when things start to open up this year, we're going to try and plow through a, a good chunk of, of IDA training to start, um, you know, bring our 3D training back online again. <clears throat> again, I've got, I, I couldn't even tell you how many people on a waiting list for 3D training that's, um, awesome. that's been piling up because we only, we only ran two classes uh, all summer last year. Um, wow. And we ran them back to back because again, we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know if we we're going to yeah. shut down again. <laughs> so we just piled two classes in a row almost and then didn't schedule anything after that. And, you know, we, we basically, you know, um, I've got a massive backlog of, of training that we're just trying to, to get through once things open up and we can safely do it. Um, you know, the big focus will just to try and get everybody trained up again and get that, the training aspect of it going again. Um, and then same thing with fine lab because of the, the way that the program has been working and, and the feedback and how well it's been doing uh, for all of our other installers. Uh, you know, the backlog for people that want on board for that, uh, you know, is massive as well. And we were very selective anyways, as far as who we pick. But I mean, I've got lots of requests from all across Canada to fill in gaps, you know, for us, which will end up helping consumers in the end, because oh, yeah. we'll be able to make sure that they have a coding specialist somewhere near them anyways. So, you know, we, you know, we're, we're newer, which means we don't have, you know, we don't have quite the same, you know, amount of people spread throughout Canada. And, uh, you know, our goal is to start, you know, filling in those holes, essentially. And, you know, with so many people from across Canada, you know, wanting to come to that training, I mean, the, the holes will get filled up fairly quickly oh, next yeah. year, which will be good. It'll be good for everybody. Um, you know, it'll help, uh, it'll help the brand grow and, and, uh, you know, help, serve some of the customers that we're not serving right now so very nice good good so now you know with uh coming close to our hour mark with everything is there anything that you know you could put out there that would be helpful to detailers or those maybe that are getting into you know storefronts or distribution like yourself any good information that you could hand off that you feel is valuable. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, um, you know, sell, you know, if you're doing storefront, sell something that you personally would use and can back stand, you know, stand behind. Um, and it sometimes doesn't necessarily mean that you, you incorporate an entire line in, in what you're carrying and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, 3d for the most part, it, the, the, the line is really good. Um, and there aren't too many, you know, products where I can't really back them. Um, and the variation, there's a little bit of variation in that too, because we focus on certain products in Canada. We have products made that they don't even supply elsewhere in the world. Like we have a salt remover that 3D makes, and it's not available anywhere else. They make it for us, which, you know, 
if you can yeah. talk to somebody over there, it should be, it should be available to the guys in like Michigan and Ohio and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, certain things like that, but you know, you gotta be able to stand behind the products and, and, and be able to get the results that the, your customers are looking for with the products that are on your shelf. If you can't get to that point, then find something that's going to fill that gap in to get you the, to, to that point as well. I mean, for us, we're a national distributor, so we're a little different than, you know, the regular ones, but if you're starting a storefront, I mean, ultimately, you know, get whatever you can kind of get your hands on that are going to fulfill the needs of your customers and, yeah. uh, and going to get you to the end. And, you know, if it's a full product line, great. I mean, if it's uh, a few products from one line and a few products from another line, you have, you know, five or six lines that are incorporated in it, that works as well. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, the happy customers are what you're looking for. And if it takes more than one product line, that's, you know, there's nothing really wrong with that. No, you're running your shop. So, but like I said, you should be able to take any bottle off your shelf and 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 be 100 behind that that uh that bottle and uh you know it should do what you're telling the customer it does 100 uh and if it doesn't then and it shouldn't be on the shelf and promoted as such so um you know and uh as far as other things go i mean you know guys have, have branched out into different types of businesses so we've got some coding you know some of our coding guys that have branched into industrial coatings um, because, you know, there's still, you know, like, you know, other businesses that were shut down, construction didn't. So, you know, construction was pretty much running, running through the entire pandemic. And, you know, some of them pivoted into, you know, doing some more industrial stuff. And, you know, it's not as glamorous as, you know, polishing Ferraris, but, you know, it definitely pays the bills and, you know, can actually net you more per hour than working on, you know, supercars sometimes too. You know, so, you know, to branch out into different things, I always tell people, keep an open mind in, in all parts of the business. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good in any part of the business from like a hand car wash all the way up to, you know, like I said, polishing and coating Ferraris or something like that. But there's other aspects that are outside of automotive that you can go into that the, the products carry over into. A lot of detailing products carry into janitorial as well. And, you know, and hey, uh, sanitation is a big thing nowadays. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah, like I said, it may not be as glamorous as polishing certain things, but you know what? It, it can make you a lot of money and it can make you a successful business person too. So that's good information. I appreciate it. And how would one, you know, whether they're in Canada or the US, how would one be able to find you, Brian? And what are some links to like website information, things of that nature? Um, well, we have our, our online 3D Products Canada website. So it's 3dproductscanada.com. Uh, that's our online store. Also has some training information on there as well. Uh, if you're looking at the coding line that we carry, it's finelabcanada.com. Uh, also uh, has some information and, and uh, sheets on there that you can fill out if you want more information on that product line as well. Um, you know, we retail our big boy blowers through the, uh, the 3D products website and uh, Speedo Coat is sort of an offshoot product that we, uh, we're just starting to groom now, but um, uh, great, great lineup out of Ohio as far as refinishing stuff goes. And it's, uh, it's nice because it's kind of cuts all the middle guys out of the refinishing industry. So we're selling top notch clears and products at basically uh, almost distribution pricing. So uh, very, very, very good stuff. And if you want to find me directly, I mean, Instagram, Fine Lab Canada, uh, or 3D Products Canada, Speedo Code Canada, um, Big Boy underscore CA, if you're really interested in blowers, 
Um, and then directly, uh, you know, 289-707-3541 is my phone number and, you know, text or call anytime. So we're always available. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you very much. And thank you for being now into our double digits of doing these episodes. And a lot of the information I'm sure was very helpful. And I picked up some things myself. I mean, you have a lot of a lot of really good knowledge, especially on the production side. That's awesome. And that shows the light at the end of the tunnel for some of these guys that don't see the value in certain aspects of detail. And it shows them that every aspect has some level of success. It's just a matter mm. of course, how you approach it. So that works out really nice to get that information out there to them. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. There's successes in all parts of the business. So, you know, great. just because it doesn't, uh, you know, uh, doesn't work for you in one aspect, there might be some other aspect that does yeah. work as well for you. And, and somewhere out there, somebody's making a lot of money in, in that part of the business. So yeah. some, some just aren't as glamorous as others when it comes to those areas of detailing, right? Nope. No, no. <laughs> so, hey, it wasn't, it wasn't super glamorous for, for production, but it, you know, it made a lot of money. So yeah. That's the glamour side, right? <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. And uh, thanks again for being on uh, this uh, episode of Reflection Artist Live. Thank you very much, sir. How's, uh, have a good one and uh, enjoy your New Year. You as well. Thank you. Take care. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks for tuning in this week to Reflection Artist Live. We hope you had fun and learned something new. If you missed an episode or are looking for more, check us out on our social media or podcast platforms. And join us next week when we have another amazing guest. Don't miss it. We'll be talking business, life, and detailing. Also, don't forget to check out BuffAndShine.com for a variety of buffing pads and accessories for your detailing arsenal.